0: Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast, I'm Ivy, the younger sister. And my fact of the day is that I don't watch movies for the most part, and I also don't watch shows with continuing storylines. Because I get too emotionally invested in the characters and the plot, and then I get aggravated, or I like cry, or just get too emotional about it, and I don't have the energy to be so emotional about fictional characters, and real, not real worlds.
1: No, i i totally relate to that like i have this rule most people like they love page turners or those shows that you just have to know what's going on and as soon as i feel that compulsion in me where i'm like oh god i need to know what's going on i will i will stop it i will turn it off i will shut the book that that mid-sentence and people don't get how i can do it but i cannot stand that emotional need about a non a, a fictional world I totally relate to
0: that. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It doesn't get any better. The more you get into it, the more you feel that need. Better just to nip it in the bud. Oh, yeah. Nip it in the bud. Get that shit over with. So
1: anyways, I am... I'm pointing at myself. Not that any of you can see, but I'm pointing. I don't know why. Anyways, I am Autumn, the older sister. And my fact of the day is I am super excited because yesterday... I bought little rhubarb bulbs or rhubarb roots, and I am super excited about this because one, fucking rhubarb is amazing, and I love rhubarb, and two, for those of you who do not know, rhubarb takes three years before you can harvest it, and this is the first time in my adult life that I have ever been anywhere long enough and plan to be here long enough to be able to harvest rhubarb. So I am so excited about
0: the rhubarb. <laughs> so excited your voice went all high pitched and squeaky, but I, <laughs> I am very <laughs> excited and happy for you because that was a long time in the making. You and I both have lived far too nomadic lives and been on the move way too much, which has bothered you considerably more than it has bothered me. But I'm happy that you're finally in a spot where you can put down roots.
1: Oh yeah. This has never been my choice. Like to be nomadic has never, I've always wanted to like stay somewhere. Starting at like 11, 12 years old, you know, all the other girls around me, they're talking about horses, the things they're dreaming about, or maybe interior designing their new house or planning their weddings was a big thing of my peers at that age. Around this age, my dream was a cabin, in the middle of Alaska. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come of age, move to the middle of nowhere, Alaska, and just have retired there (laughs) and have never seen another human being ever and be just basically a self-sustainable recluse hermit. And of course, you know, I got older and I'm like, oh, well, this isn't a feasible dream. This is just a childhood fantasy. You can't live like that. I I would change my mind, right? I just need to get into society. Well, you know what? I'm gonna be 40 this year. I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm not in Alaska, but I am a recluse and I never changed my mind. And this is a tie-in with today's episode because we are talking about 10 things we hate being told as adults. So in our last episode, we talked about 10 things we hated hearing growing up in a dysfunctional household. Well, once you've gotten out of that dysfunctional household and you're now an adult that had survived a dysfunctional household or trauma or are dealing with mental health, you get a whole new set of phrases you get to hear from people. And the very first phrase on our list today of the 10 things we hate being told as an adult is, you'll change your mind. And you know what? What? Sometimes you fucking don't. Sometimes your little fantasy dream of 13 is the fantasy you end up living when you're 40. So you don't always change your mind. But that's the very first one on our list.
0: You'll change your mind. And sometimes you will change your mind, which is fine, because people are allowed to change their minds, but they're also allowed to not change their minds. And that's what makes it so frustrating is it's like it's None of your business, really, whether I change my mind or not. I don't know why you're so invested in my personal decisions. And I thought as an adult that I would stop hearing that. I thought that was like one of those things as I was growing up. I'm like, it's really annoying to hear, but they're just treating me like a child because they have these ideas about what it's like when you're growing up and they don't understand my background. And they don't know those things. Okay, fine. It's annoying, but that'll go away when I am an adult. I am a grown-ass adult now. And still, things that I have said since I was a teenager that have not changed at all, decisions I made a long time ago that have not changed at all, I still get the, you'll change your mind. That's really fucking annoying because maybe I will, maybe I won't, but it's none of your business. And as a grown-ass adult, you could at least just accept my answer and respect my decision and leave it at that because I respect your decisions, mostly because if I leave you alone, the hope is that you will also leave me alone, which apparently does not work with most people. Most people, I guess, just want to get involved in your business anyway. I think that that's so true. And it's, I think that's what makes these so much
1: more frustrating hearing stuff like this as an adult is because when you're a kid, at least people have some reason to intervene. They see you as, you know, oh, you need help. You're only a child. You're not of age. But when you're an adult, I'm an adult, you know, I'm 40 years old, I'm 30 years old, I'm whatever years old, obviously I'm adulting, I'm not dead yet, I haven't been in jail, I'm not yet been a hooker, I mean all things statistically probable given my trauma background, here I am adulting quite well, why are you all up in my business? Because a lot of times this isn't even people that are intimate with you or friends, they're just random acquaintances and they're like, hey, let me get involved in your fucking life decisions. And I think this one especially is about societal expectations. You know, people are trying to beat you into place. There is, you know, this this little circle hole and you're a square peg and you don't fit in the circle hole. But the circle hole is society and they're going to hammer you down until you do. And so they will beat on you and beat on you and beat on you, even though it's none of their fucking business. Because society is its own thing and it in gets into people's mind. It's like, it's like, oh, what is it? That Agent Smith or whatever it is from The Matrix where he just pops into people's beings. That's what happens when you encounter a societal expectation and all of a sudden you're not meeting it. The other person is no longer that other person. All of a sudden they're the spokesperson for society and they're like, oh, wait, this is not an expectation that is met. Allow me to beat
0: you to death with it until you... I don't know adhere to it like that that's ever worked i don't know yeah and on that note you know because you had made mention that, like with our background or whatever you had you still hadn't become become like a hooker or done any of those things but it's like even if you had become a sex worker that doesn't necessarily mean that that's like a negative thing but society says that it is there are people who have intentionally chosen sex work as their profession have built a very successful profession on it and they are totally happy with their decisions. So even something like that, where it's like, society is like, oh, no, being a sex worker is wrong. That's terrible. That's a horrible thing. Only trashy people do that, or only people that are trafficked to do that or whatever. And yes, that stuff happens. There are people that end up in those things because they don't feel like they have an option. But then there are people that choose that line of work intentionally or choose another line of work that is not considered socially acceptable or at least socially preferable. And they're perfectly fine, but there's are still going to be people that are like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And that's not acceptable or people aren't going to like you or you're going to regret doing this, or you'll change your mind about it one day or whatever. Maybe they will, or maybe they won't. Maybe people just need to leave each other alone and mind their own business that's what I would love. I would love it. That's like my life goal at this point is just to be left the fuck alone and have people stay out of my business. Because I'm not intruding anybody else's. Just why? Why do you want to be involved in mine? Don't you have enough things in your own life to concentrate on? I, I, don't, I don't get the appeal. I don't think apparently they
1: do. I think they're using you as a distraction. And I think the thing, like you said about our background, also, when we come, when you come from a traumatic background or a dysfunctional home, a lot of times you do end up having to think about adult things a lot sooner. So that idea of you'll change your mind, I feel, is also very, very erroneous because I was thinking about a lot of adult things one or two decades before my peers were. I may not have been able to accomplish any of these things because I was so fucked up in my head and was triaging my mental health. But I had been contemplating and thinking about adult matters since I was 12 years old. And a lot of the things I was thinking about, I didn't even hear my peers start talking about until they were well into their 30s. And so when I come up with a decision and I'm like 33 and somebody's like, oh, well, you'll change your mind. I'm like, you know what? You've been thinking about this for a fucking year. I've been thinking about this for 22 years. Really? You you think I'm going to change my mind? I don't think so. You You don't get the right to come in there and say that. And on the point of the idea of just being left the fuck alone, which again is an amazing life goal that I totally adhere to as well. The second one on our list, size and eye rolls. Okay, So this isn't any kind of actual phrase that gets said, but it's a reaction you get. And any of those that are neurodivergent, that you don't fit into that societal mold, you know, you know this face. You know, maybe it's a sigh, maybe it's an eye roll, maybe it's that certain set of the lips or the eyebrows or whatever it is, but you do something or you say something and you get that face. That face that says, Oh, if if only you knew better. Oh, if if only I could come in and and show you the the error of your ways, but oh, it's just you're so inferior to me and you're so oh just ah, oh, I don't even know. That's that's the whole idea of it is this superiority and this condescending judgment. I fucking hate it. So that's the second one on our list, size and eye rolls, just this quiet judgment, this passive aggressive bullshit.
0: Yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot of that over the years because its it becomes evident to most people pretty quickly that I'm really stubborn, like when I've decided on something or I believe something. It's not that I'm incapable of changing my mind or that I can't shift my perspective, but I'm, I am generally pretty stubborn. It takes me a little while to come around to things. So a lot of people will give up on the directly trying to tell me what to do. But I do get a lot of the, OK, kind of thing. And I hate that. Because like, I even hate that more than the direct thing. Because it's like, OK, obviously, you don't approve of my decisions. And you disagree with them. I would rather you just tell me that up front it's not going to change anything, but that's better than this passive aggressive shit of just being like, okay. And you're, it's like, I can see it written on your face that, oh, she'll figure it out someday. There's nothing I can do for her. She's just going to have to learn her lessons the hard way. And some of my lessons I have learned the hard way, but again, it's none of your fucking business. Say it with me, everybody. It's none of your fucking business. I am irrelevant to you. You are irrelevant to me.
1: Leave me alone.
0: I will leave you alone because it's none of your fucking business.
1: Oh, I love this. Yes. I didn't know this is where we were going with today's show, but so far, yeah, I am just spot on. I'm just spot on with that because I do feel like this is actually a theme throughout everything is it is none of your fucking business. Because I'm an adult, I'm adulting. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm over here doing my thing. I'm making very little impact. I'm not offending anybody. Just let me do my thing. Yeah, and also, like,
0: I can, sometimes people will try to pull you into their business, and I'm, and I, it's pretty much the same response with just you know one word change, and it's like this is none of my fucking business. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care. You do whatever you want to do. It has nothing to do with me. Unless you're getting involved in my life, it has nothing to do with me. I don't care. Do what you want to do. You will receive no judgment from me. Just leave me alone. Like That's that's it. This is none of my fucking business either. I don't want to be pulled into your shit or anybody else's shit. I don't want get pulled into the gossip. I don't want to be pulled in to get my opinion on things. I just want to be left alone. Like You guys do you. Can you make your own decisions? Because I don't want your business to be mine. I'm just trying to keep
1: you out of my business. That's all I want (laughs) to do. And so I just, yes, everything just, yes. Okay. So from there, I'm going to go into number three on our list. If you have had any, any struggles with mental health of any kind in your entire life ever, you will have heard this one. And it is just calm down. When in the history of ever- Has anybody calmed down when they've told you to calm down? (laughs) Because the implied idea here is you are overreacting. So just calm down because your reaction is too big. Well, you know what that is? That is the very definition of invalidation. Somebody is having a reaction and you're telling them it is wrong. It is too much. It is too big. You don't understand the situation. You are wrong. You are wrong in your feelings. You are wrong in your thoughts. You are wrong in your expression of your feelings and thoughts. That's not going to help somebody calm down. You're invalidating because whenever anybody invalidates you, and I've spoken about this in one of my blogs, if you are invalidated, the main response you are always going to receive from that person is for them to scream louder. Because if I am in pain, if I am angry, if I am whatever emotion, and you don't hear me, as a human, the automatic response is to scream louder so you can hear me. So if you say, just calm down, you're saying, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, you're just overreacting. I'm hearing, you don't understand how bad it is. Let me raise the volume so I can tell you. I hate just calm down
0: yeah and i think that there's another implied message there too that we didn't even put in our notes that i was just now thinking of and that other implied message is you need to calm down because you are making me uncomfortable or you're making other people uncomfortable or you're making a scene which is also really frustrating as well because it's it implies that i should always have to accommodate other people, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is going on, because maybe you are being significantly triggered because you have like PTSD or you have sensory overload issues or you have something along those lines. There's a wide variety of things that could cause a person to be triggered by something that to other people doesn't seem like a big deal, but you're telling me that well this is making me uncomfortable basically so i need you to calm down because i'm uncomfortable in this situation which is kind of an asshole move too it's like okay fine you're uncomfortable in this situation maybe remove yourself from it because there are times when you are triggered so badly that you can't calm down if you're having a ptsd flashback and you're pretty much hallucinating that you are back in the moment of your trauma or if you're having a panic attack you can't calm down. It doesn't work that way. It'd be nice if it did. It's not like we want to be triggered in that way. Nobody wants to be triggered in that way, but it happens. You can't just calm down. It doesn't work.
1: It it totally doesn't. And that is the reality is for a lot of this, it's not that you're overreacting. It's just that you're reacting to something that other people don't see or other people don't understand. And a lot of times it is a personal trigger, whether it is a sensory or a past trauma or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, my other thought on this, too, is the world is falling apart. We can all agree on this. I mean, I don't care which side of the fence you're on, left, right, what religion you are. Everybody can look out here and go, oh, my God, things are unraveling. The world is falling apart. Stuff is shitty. Whether it's environments, whether it's politics, whether it's war, whether it's race issues, whether it's whatever you look at, shit is falling apart. Why are we so calm? (laughs) What are we just peacefully marching off the cliff of suicide that is our culture? I think we should all be running around screaming. I think we should all be freaking out. So my thing with this is why isn't everybody not calm? You know what I mean? Why are we not all freaking out? Because the state of the world is insane. Acting sane in an insane world. That's weird to me. So why are we not all creating scenes? And on the note also of creating a scene, I love that Ivy used that language because you know what? Sometimes the world is about me. Sometimes, especially because of my history, I need to be able to establish that I am even real, that I am a valid existence, that my emotions are valid. And so sometimes I have to have a scene And that scene for me is to establish the validity of myself. I become the star of the show. And you know what? Y'all can be extras in my life for a few minutes or you can exit stage left, but this is my scene and this is what I'm doing right now.
0: Yeah. And I I think too, that like, even, even if we aren't all running around screaming, it it would be nice if we did kind of acknowledge that the world is falling apart, but it seems like so much of the time, like the shit that gets focused on is things I, I don't understand um just like recently and i didn't even really want to broach this because i'm annoyed that it even became such a huge topic of conversation but what happened at the oscars with will smith smacking chris rock i get there's a lot of things going on there and why is that so important but all the shit happening in ukraine or the world being on the precipice of another world war or the economic issues that we're having globally, why are those things things that we sweep under the rug? And yet we want to focus on things in pop culture that's like, okay, it's a thing that happened, but it's really none of my business. I'll just move on. Why was that a topic of conversation that everybody was obsessed with? And even now it's, it's still like such a topic of conversation. I can't open social media up without reading about that or seeing something about it but nobody's talking about any of the bigger issues going on. Like, it makes me wonder is it's like, are we focusing on the little things because it's easier for us to focus on that than it is for us to have to confront the big issues because people don't want to lose their shit and we don't wanna be running around screaming and that causes us to not even acknowledge the bigger things that are going on, which is a whole issue unto itself.
1: I think you're really right about that, Ivy. That, that idea of just calm down focuses only on the reaction, and it's not focusing on the situation. They're not saying, what's going on right now with you? What is happening? They're not looking at that issue. Whether it's you know a global issue, a huge thing, or whether it's a minor issue, whenever we're all told to just calm down, all you're focusing on is the reaction. You are not focusing on what the situation is and you're not trying to attempt to resolve that situation or help that person go through that situation. So I think that's a really accurate observation. So then I'm going to go into number four, and this is another, another invalidating one. And so if, if you struggled with depression at all, this is one you've heard a lot, I'm sure. And it's said in a lot of different ways, but the way we phrased it in, in today's show is, well, just look at the bright side. I get that your spouse just died and your house burned down and your car exploded and you lost your left arm, but let's look at the bright side. (laughs) Or even for that matter, nothing's going on, but you're just depressed out of your mind and can't do anything but think about constantly, every second of every breath, eating a fucking bullet to make the pain stop. And somebody says, well, just look at the bright side. So Ivy, before the, ep- before the episode, we were talking about the notes and she was actually telling me something. I would not heard of this probably through intentional ignorance because I didn't want to, but she was telling me this is a big thing
0: that came from a book called The Secret. Is that right, Ivy? Yeah, and it's been out for a while now and the ideology around it became really popular. Like, the whole premise with The Secret is like, the only thing holding you back from happiness and success is where your head's at. Like, how are you thinking about things? Positive thinking will manifest all things wonderful. And if wonderful things are not happening to you, it's because you're just not being positive enough. You have to think positive to make positive things happen. And if positive things aren't happening, it's your fault because you're not thinking positively, which is bullshit. It's, it was a pretty idea. Like, I can understand the appeal of that. And to some degree, yes, thinking positive things, being in a positive headspace will help bring some positivity into your life, but that's not the be all end all because there's so many things outside of our control that you can't just fix with positive thinking. But the entire idea of the secret was all of your problems are coming from your negative headspace. So you need to think positively and that will fix it. And if that doesn't fix it, it's because you're not being positive enough. Which is, to me, just another one of those ways in which society is like, we're not fucked up. You're fucked up. This is your fault. You fix yourself to deal with society. Society is fine. Society does not need to fix anything. We're perfect. Everything is wonderful. Everything's operating as it should. The problem is you. You are the problem. Fix you by just being more positive about everything. Be happy about the way that society operates and then everything will be fine. Happiness and joy and success and money and health and love and all of those things will come to you automatically if you just believe hard enough that they will. You don't even have to do anything else. Just believe that it will happen for you. Tell yourself it's already happening for you. So it's just wishful thinking, basically. It's this whole idea that wishful thinking will make things real and that if it's not real, it's because you're not wishful thinking hard enough.
1: Yeah, I, so I've heard of this in the form of manifesting is what I've 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 come across that term as, and I've always thought of it as as magical thinking, which is actually a symptom of you know psychosis and delusional behavior, mixed with victim blaming is pretty much yeah. what that yeah. is. So I'm sure we probably piss some people off that enjoy the secret or, you know, the the but manifesting the, idea. You know,
0: the thing though is that like the reason why it was able to take off is because there's a seed of truth in it. There's a seed of truth in it. it's the same reason why conspiracy theories take off and they gain traction is because there is a seed of truth in it. When you can be more positive about things, when you already are in a good mood, the likelihood that your day is going to feel like it's going better is is higher because you're already in a good mood. You're already in a positive headspace. It's not a guarantee, but there is the and it's they kind of play on the idea of the placebo effect as well. You know, oh, well, if this, this drug that wasn't really a drug, it was just you were given the control substance or whatever it is that's not actually the drug, but you still feel better. It's because you believed it was working, and so now you feel better. So it's like they took that idea and they turned that into everything in life, which is basically the placebo effect for life, that if you just believe hard enough, you can make everything wonderful. Everything will be wonderful because you just believe it's true enough. You're creating or manifesting your reality. There is a tiny seed of truth in it, which is why it gains traction. And it also gains traction because it's a pretty idea that we all wanna believe in. We all wanna believe it's that simple.
1: And I mean, just throwing aside then the invalidating idea of just look on the bright side, the manifesting portion of this is just, again, like I said before, The world is falling apart. There are so many horrible things. And I'm not saying that we stare only at the horror. But I honestly believe to be mentally healthy, to be healthy implies balance. And a balance is, one, an acknowledgement of all factors, an acknowledgement of your attitude, an acknowledgement of the realities outside of you, an acknowledgement of your resources, an acknowledgement of your physical and mental capabilities and limitations, but an acknowledgement of everything. And it's also a a balance of, of focus, a balance of being aware that they're happy and aware that they're negative and aware that there's an entire gray area in between. And... Like I said, the world is falling apart. And I think that is part of the problem. We we spend so much time focusing on the bright side and trying to find the good things and we don't focus enough on the negative because if we did see the negative and we didn't become consumed with it, maybe we could start making some positive change out there because that's what balance is about. You don't get consumed by the bright and you don't get consumed by the dark. You just acknowledge all of it and then you make a conscious choice to move forward. And on the also, you know, to tie this back down to a personal level and away from the global level, just look on the bright side, especially tied into depression, is quite literally impossible. The way your brain is working at that moment, you they they've done all these studies and stuff you literally cannot access memories of happy times in your life they don't exist for you so the idea of this is also that you have the capability to control your emotions and that ties in right to number 5 you're in control of your emotions other people can't make you sad or angry other people can't hurt you and if there's one thing i see on social media Of all the positive vibes and everything else that goes on out there that pisses me off the absolute fucking most it is when I see topics like this that you are in control of your emotions and that other people cannot hurt you. And I get why people want to believe this. It makes you feel safe. It makes you feel in control. To me, this is very much in the moment traumatic thinking of a stunted child wanting so bad to have control that they try to make themselves believe it. And it makes me so sad that this is a a bit of propaganda that's intentionally propagated by healthy adults that you can do this because this is not true. You may be able, may be able, depending on your personal life and the lessons you've learned and the struggles you have, you may be able to control your behavior. You cannot control how you feel. You cannot control if another person hurts you. And I've brought this up before. If somebody wants to hurt you, they will. If somebody is going to stab you with a knife while you sleep in your house, they will. They can hurt you. And the reality for this, for me, is you want them to. You don't want to have control of your feelings. So when I was a kid um, at recess, there was this big thing they used to do in elementary school where they'd jump at you or you know, spaz at you real quick and they'd try to get you to flinch. And if you flinched, you were a loser they'd laugh at you or whatever. And even as like an eight-year-old, because that's how I was an eight-year-old, I was like, yeah, I flinched. That's a genetic primed reaction to ensure that I am protected from a potential threat later in life to preserve vision and other parts of my physical functioning. Why would I want to not flinch? Not flinching is fucking stupid. And that's how I feel about controlling your your emotions like this. The idea that other people can't make you You want them to make you because when somebody makes you sad or when somebody makes you angry or when somebody does something that arouses that emotional reaction into you, that is vital to your survival. That is vital to telling you this relationship is potentially damaging. This relationship is potentially abusing. This situation is potentially not okay. If you go around controlling that constantly and consistently, you're going to cut off your ability
0: to hear that. That's not okay. Yeah, and I, I think that the takeaway from that is that emotions, what we feel, that is on in large part instinctual. It happens automatically. It is reflexive. You can work on being able to control your behaviors. You can even work on being able to shift your perspective about things that hurt you or scare you or whatever. But those emotions that you feel instantly the moment something happens you can't control that it happens reflexively and it happens for a reason like autumn is saying it is a survival tool we're wired up that way for a reason so you should be able to feel those reflexive emotions without being guilted about it without being humiliated about it or feeling like you're a failure it's acceptable and it's okay, it's normal, and it's necessary to have that reflexive internal response to something that is damaging to you or has the potential to be damaging to you. That is not to say that you automatically have to respond in a certain way. You can work to control your behaviors to a certain degree. You can work to shift your perspectives. You can get to a place where you're not as easily or as intensely triggered where you can learn to recognize the difference between a genuine threat and one that's not really a threat. But on some level, if we lose our ability to feel those reflexive emotions completely, we're actually putting ourselves in harm's way in the long run. Because what happens, we get so in control of our emotions, if that were possible, that we're incapable of recognizing a genuine threat there's been studies that they've done on people who lack a fear response, either because they're born without a fear response or because they've had a head injury that causes that fear response. They put themselves in harm's way all the time because they're incapable of feeling that fear reaction where they've, they've done studies with these people where they've actually you know sent people out to, to with like a weapon against them to try to get a reaction from them And they get no reaction. They're incapable of feeling that fear. They have no fear response. So that's why it's important not to shame these emotions that we feel, not to try to eradicate them, but to acknowledge that they exist for a reason. And then you choose what you want to do with them. You can choose that part. You can choose what you want to do with them and how you want to try to respond to it. And you can work on those behaviors and those sorts of things in your perspective. But you shouldn't want to eradicate those feelings completely. They are there for a reason. And if we didn't have them, we'd be putting ourselves in harm's way a hell of a lot more than we already do. And I think before
1: I move on from this one, I also want to speak to the behavior side of this too, because a lot of it is you can control your behavior. You can control your behavior if you have been taught how to do so. So a lot of us that come from dysfunctional families, a lot of us that come from traumatic backgrounds have not been taught how to do this. This is something you have to teach. Emotional regulation, you have to teach behavioral regulation, impulse control. These are things you have to teach somebody. So there are a large portion of us out there that know we cannot control our behavior. So emotions aside, reflexive things aside, Behavioral choices are not something we can yet control. And I'm not saying this is an excuse to get away with abusive behavior or anything like that, but it is a necessity and a call that people acknowledge that these are skills that need to be thought. That's like saying you can do advanced, you know, quadratic equations. Well, you can do advanced quadratic equations if you've learned how to do them if somebody has sat down with you and taught you how to do them it's not something all of us just can do this is something you have to learn so those are reflexive emotions you definitely want and on the behavior side learning to control that is very much a learning thing and the idea that you just can't do that that's just instantaneous is fucking bullshit I don't know how many years it has taken me to try to control my behavior, and when I have a bad day, when something is significantly going wrong with me, I lose that control again, because I go back to when I was 13, or I go back to when I was six, and you know what kind of control I had when I was at six? None, none at all, and so I don't have control again. I have had to make a lot of work in my life, and I've put a lot of effort into my life to learn to control my behaviors, and to acknowledge that there will be certain points at which I will lose control of my behaviors and to set my life up in such a way to mitigate the damage so that I am not abusive to the people I love, so that I can have that loss of control without hurting others.
0: That process of learning to work with your own behaviors and respond in better ways, that is something that takes years. Like it is definitely a learned skill and it's something that you have to build upon over time. It does not happen overnight. You're rewiring the way that your brain operates. You are shifting a lot of things about your behavior. It takes time. It is not an overnight process. It gets progressively better over time as you work on it. But everybody, everybody, regardless of their background has it in them to occasionally lose their shit. And anybody who says that that's not something they ever do or will ever do is lying because every human being has the propensity and the capacity to occasionally lose their shit. If they are triggered in just such a way or they're under enough stress or in in a situation that puts them under a state of extreme duress, everybody loses their shit occasionally. So the idea that we should be able to control our behaviors 100% all of the time is as stupid as saying we should be able to control our emotions 100% of the time. So very true. And that reminded me of a comedian, uh, Christopher
1: Titus. He did a special, I think Norman Rockwell is bleeding quite a few years ago now. And he talked about how a lot of times when people do lose their shit to that level, it's always that normal guy. Like they interview the neighbors and they're like, oh, he was always so normal. He was always saying hi to me. And he's like, this is because... Normal people haven't been through shit, so they don't know how to step away from it. So sometimes, honestly, it is those people that come from the traumatic backgrounds that have the mental health struggles that actually do better with this, with major life crises than your average person coming from a normative environment. Because the way he put it was, when you go through a lot of stuff, you realize when shit is about to hit the fan and you step to the side. And if you haven't been through a lot of stuff, you don't know to step to the side and you get splattered with shit. And I feel that's really, really accurate. So sometimes those of us that do look like we're out of control, when it comes down to a crisis situation, when shit really hits the fan, we're going to be the ones that are leading the rescue. We're going to be the ones that are not panicking because we've had to learn these skills. So I just find that amusing. I will go ahead and move on to number six on our list, things we hate to hear as an adult, what are you complaining about? Other people have it so much worse than you. Yeah, this again, like so many of them on our list is invalidating. Uh, And also, this one annoys me on the autistic level, because it's illogical. Okay, so if we are only ever talking about who has the worst, that's the only thing we can ever talk about is the absolute worst thing. Well, that's really going to limit our conversation. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of times we're not talking about the worst thing and it's not a competition. You know, like they joke around in Deadpool with him and his girlfriend about who had it worse as a kid. A lot of times when we're expressing our feelings, it's not about, oh, I've got it worse than you. It's about, I am in pain can you please acknowledge this and validate this so that I can feel a human connection and begin to resolve this pain? So I hate the invalidation of this and I hate the, I don't think the word is the the illogicity of it. That's what I'm going to call it. Illogicity of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's a line from the TV show Ally McBeal and that was on quite some time ago. So you may or may not remember that show. It was like the late nineties, early two thousands. I think that it was on. But it's kind of like this law firm that's full of just a bunch of odd ducks and strange people. And the, the main character, Allie McBeal, is kind of viewed by everybody as being very passionate, kind of a really sensitive, kind of just particularly odd. And in frustration, one of the characters asks, What makes your problems so much bigger than everybody else's? And her response is, Well, because they're mine. And we may not like the idea that that is accurate, but that is accurate for all of us because to to everybody on some level, we are the center of our own universe. And that's unavoidable. I mean, yeah, you can have these moments where you see things on a global scale and you can kind of put yourself outside of your own stress and outside of your own life and your daily tasks and all of those things but on a day-to-day basis as we're moving through life and we're working and we're taking care of our families and we're just functioning at the however we can as good as we can on that day-to-day basis we are the center of our own universe and the people that we love and that we're close to are at the center of that universe with us so our problems on some level on that day-to-day basis are always going to feel so much bigger than everybody else's because there are problems because we're the ones that have to deal with them. It's like this part of human nature that everybody wants to pretend doesn't exist. And I don't understand that because to me, it's just like, well, of course my problems are going to be bigger than other people's in my perspective on a day-to-day basis, because I'm the one that has to deal with these problems. That's not to say, that other people don't have it worse than me. It's not to say that other people aren't struggling. It's not to say that other people aren't struggling even more than I am. But where I'm at in my life, if I am struggling, and a lot of times I am, that is my primary concern, because I can't do anything else if I can't get my own shit together. Sometimes you have to be able to focus on yourself and you have to be okay with the fact that your problems are bigger than other people's because they're your problems and you have to be the one to deal with them. And you can't, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's a, a negative thing to volunteer, but a friend of mine once told me, and she had done a lot of volunteering over the course of her life, and she told me one time, that what she didn't completely realize at the time that she was doing it is because she was looking outside of herself to other people's problems because her own problems were so big, she couldn't handle dealing with them. And I think that that there's an important lesson there for everybody and that It's fine for your problems to be bigger than everybody else's in your own perspective to a certain degree, because you're the one that has to deal with them. You're the one that has to look for solutions. You're the one that has to cope with these things and find ways to make things better.
1: And I think that's extremely true in an individualistic society like America. I can't speak to a culturalistic society as, as some other countries in the world have. But in America, specifically, we are very individualistic based. And it is me before anyone else. And it is me first. And if you don't speak up in this kind of society and you don't complain, you will get run over. You need to be able to say something. You need to be able to defend yourself and to acknowledge your own problems because other people are not going to do that. And other people aren't going to come in and automatically magically solve them. So you do need to be able to do that just so that you can take care of yourself And again, like I said, to start this all off with, a lot of times it's not about a competition. You're just looking for validation and that's how we look for it. Or sometimes if you're like me and you process things verbally, I just need to work things out. So sometimes I'm speaking or talking, whether you're there or not, is it relevant? I'm just trying to sort shit out in my head so I can get get a grasp on it. So again, other people having it worse, what are you complaining about? You know, it's it's my life. They are my problems. They are huge, and I'm complaining about them because I need to resolve them, and I need to stand up for my own rights. That's why I'm complaining about it. All right, and that moves us into number seven on our list. <laughs> this is a lot. When we actually start hearing, um, many of us in even our youth, and this is, you're wasting your potential. You have so much potential. I personally hate this one because what this is speaking to is society's expectations for me. You have so much potential to further society's goals for you. You have so much potential to meet society's expectations. You have so much potential to be a valuable contributing member of this society which is i have already acknowledged in this podcast a couple times as well as in numerous places in my life society is fucked up so i don't care that i have potential to be a valuable member of this society because you know what fuck society and fuck your expectations for me because this society is sick and this culture is falling apart and the world is insane i don't want to meet up to that potential so it drives me nuts when you say you're wasting your potential you have so much potential that's not a path i want to go down so fuck the potential it doesn't matter i'm never going to nurture that i'm never going to grow it i'm never going to water it i'm never going to take care of it to foster it to make it grow because those are not things i want for me that's why i have this wasted potential and in my mind it's not wasted at all
0: Yeah, because the entire idea that goes with that is the is that there are only a limited number of things, this very narrow view of things that are worth your time, that are worth your investment, and that if you don't fit in somewhere into those very narrow categories that you're wasting your life, which is, as Autumn was saying, that's bullshit. And going back to my earlier point. It's none of your fucking business what I do with my life. It's none of my fucking business what you do with your life. A few years ago, before I got together with Calvin, the last long-term relationship that I was in, one of the things that was really frustrating for me with him was that He always was like, Oh, you should be a doctor. You're so smart. And you're, why are you wasting your potential? Why are you just a massage therapist? Why are you just doing this or just doing that? You could be a doctor. You should be a doctor. You're wasting yourself. You're being selfish by not doing more for the world. You should be a doctor. Could I be a doctor? Sure. Do I want to be? Fuck no. And that is because to me personally, the downsides of being a doctor far outweigh the potential benefits. All the time in school, all the student debt that I would accrue, all of the hours that I would have to put in, the crazy schedules I would probably have to work, the amount of time I would have to spend with other human beings, the pressure to get patients in and out, because doctors don't even get to spend time with their patients, really. That's part of the struggles that we have at least in the u.s with our healthcare system is that doctors don't get to spend enough time with their patients really so all of the downsides of being a doctor i look at that and i'm like could i be a doctor sure yeah i probably could if i want to dedicate myself to that if it was important to me but it's not and that's not what i want to do with my life i may not want to be a massage therapist forever either but it's working for me right now and i like it a hell of a lot better than other things that i've done And it's still one of the best options that I have that fits all the criteria for what I want for my life. It's not worth it for me to follow one of those narrow confines of things that are worth our time. Because to me, those things aren't worth my time. There are people that are genuinely passionate about wanting to become a doctor and if that's what you're genuinely passionate about, that is wonderful because the world does need doctors. But the idea that there are only certain things that are worth our time, only certain professions, only certain lifestyles, only certain types of families, only certain types of relationships, that everything needs to fit within these little neat, tidy categories. That's bullshit. Why does it have to be that way? And why is it anybody's business what another person chooses to do with their life? I don't get it. And that is something we've spoke
1: to again before is, the idea that certain jobs or positions in our society are touted over others you know it's it's blue collar or low class work to be a mechanic but it's amazing if you're a lawyer it, it's all based on how much money you can earn and that's really how m- success is measured in this country i don't know about others but it's how it's measured here and i think that's bullshit and this kind of ties into number 8 on our list if you work hard enough you can succeed and so with this one i'm going to say yes and I'm going to say no. So, if you work hard enough, you can succeed. Yes. In that you look at this outside of our society. And this is why I have moved myself outside of our society because I wanted to be somewhere and live a life where the amount of effort I put in was equaled by the amount of award I received. And so when I put effort into growing a plant and I put effort into fostering that, I will be rewarded with the plant and I will be rewarded with the health of that plant. And so on the very literal level, this is true. But this phrase is almost always applied to society. And if you work hard enough in our society, you will succeed. No, no. No, 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 no. That is a fucking lie. And I'm sure I'm going to piss off a lot of people by saying it, but this is a lie that privileged people tell themselves so they can feel more comfortable with their privilege. That's all this is. Okay, effort Does not equal money or success in this country or most countries, as far as I'm aware. There are people that have three or four jobs. There are people in this country and other countries working 20 hour days with no breaks, no lunches, and they are not successful. They are barely making ends meet. They are barely getting food into their mouths or the mouths of their children. They are barely able to afford rent. And that is not about the amount of work they are doing. They work and they work and they work and it does not equal success because when you add in society, you get nepotism, you get luck, you get classism, you get racism, you get all of these societal constructs that ensure that those people that have power and money continue to have power and money and that there is a very large working class that does not have power and money to support those people. And I will even openly admit this for myself, that I have a shit ton of privilege. Okay, I may be relatively poor, and I may be living off grid without water or electricity, and I may have a lot of mental health struggles. But you know what I do have going for me that's really great in America? I'm white. You don't want to know how much that has really privileged me in this life. I'm sorry if that fends people, but it's true. People assume I'm Christian. People assume I'm straight. People assume I'm a lot of things. And because of these assumptions, I have gotten a lot of things. And I've also had a lot of luck with what I got. You know why I have my land right now? Do you know why I have my land? How I was able to get this? Was it that six years of saving up where I gave up every single thing I possibly could? No, I got my land because COVID happened. COVID happened and I got stimulus money. That's nothing in my control at all. But because that happened, I got my land. You know why I have a house I live in? Because Jake's dad, my boyfriend's dad, was willing to loan us a couple grand to help us invest in this. And the only reason I was able to get the loan to pay for the rest of this house was again because COVID happened and the whole world was wanting to stimulate the economy. Okay, That had nothing to do with me. That had nothing to do with my years of sacrifice. That had nothing to do with the amount of effort I put in. It was nothing but luck. And that's the reality of it. We want to feel comfortable with the privilege we have. We want to feel acknowledged for the sacrifices we've made and the work we've done. And by doing that, we completely ignore the amount of luck and the amount of privilege we have. So if you work hard enough, you can succeed is Bullshit.
0: Yeah, I and mean, even if you look at things on a global scale like living in just living in the u.s Gives so many people a certain amount of privilege A lot of us are extremely privileged and we don't always recognize how privileged we are. I mean Calvin's parents when they came to the u.s They came to the u.s. with almost nothing they escaped the communist revolution His dad spent a decade in a labor camp in China like they got here and they worked them, their way up from nothing but they had to work a hell of a lot harder and make a hell of a lot more sacrifices than somebody who had been born in this country, who who had been born in this country to wealthy parents and who were white. Like they had to work a hell of a lot harder. They knew they were going to have to work a hell of a lot harder. And they instilled that in Calvin and his sister, that the system is unfair. So even if yes, you could potentially build yourself up to that point, if you have the resources to do so, if you have the luck, If you have the, you know, the the natural aptitudes or skill sets, if you get, you know, scholarships or whatever, if you get these things, maybe you can work your way up to the top from nothing. But that is a small group of people that gets to that point. It is a very tiny group of people that gets to that point. So the idea that just working hard automatically equals success is definitely not true.
1: And I think that ties in right well with number nine, which is if you want more money, you should work more. I think so much in this country, we we identify work as equaling success or work as equaling money, as if the amount of effort you put in will automatically make that happen. And that's not true. And so for this one specifically... (laughs) If you just work more, you'd have more money. You know, whether that be overtime, whether that be pick up a second job. I know that was recommended to me frequently when I was putting my entire life on hold for 5 years and living in a trailer and I'd sacrificed everything cuz I was trying to save money for land. And they're like, "Well, if you if you really want to save money, you just you work some overtime, you get another job. That's how you get more money." <laughs> Again, on a very logical basis, I could get how you could perceive that, but that doesn't equal out to reality. Okay? So for me specifically, I can't. I've tried that. I have tried working overtime. I have tried having multiple jobs. You know what happens? I get suicidal. And you know what happens when I keep pushing it? Those suicidal thoughts start turning into suicidal plans. And at least for me, I've been smart enough to stop at that point because I know what the next step on that journey is. That suicidal plan is going to turn into a suicidal attempt. So I cannot work more in this society. I'm not against work. I work all the time out here on my property and I am okay with it. It's a different kind of stress. And again, for me, the amount of effort I put in is directly equal to the amount of reward I receive. That's not true in society. And for whatever reason, I cannot work more because when I try, I will become suicidal. That's how my body works, whether even just the idea of where people are like, oh, you know, when you reach that plateau with physical exercise, you just got to push through. It doesn't work because you know what happens to my body if I'm like, I'll just push through. I'll do a push up and my body says, nope, my arms give out and I land flat on my face. There are physical and mental limitations that I have. And so working more or picking up another job is not a possibility
0: for me at all. And even even if you can push through, even if you are somebody that, yeah, you're physically capable or mentally capable of doing more work, just getting another job or whatever, there's still long-term ramifications that come with that. And that's one of those things about society that I really hate, too, is this idea that like work, 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 work. That's the most important thing. Everything in life, your entire value as a person is based on how much effort you're willing to put in, how much work you do, how much you contribute to the system. But a lot of the people that do work tons of overtime, whether it's a, a blue collar job or a white collar job, doesn't fucking matter you're going to have the same kinds of issues your body is going to fall apart over time because we cannot push through forever without consequences sure you may be able to get away with it for a few decades but eventually it will catch up to you you know people end up with these serious these serious health ailments they end up with diabetes or they just have all of these complications from stress they get heart disease they have all these kinds of problems and joint issues, things like that, tons of people end up with back problems and it doesn't matter whether they're working a desk job or whether they're working as a as a truck driver, a construction worker or whatever. My, my boyfriend's mom, she really fucked up her back at a desk job because the chair that they had for her and the desk that they had for her was so bad for her ergonomics that it caused a significant enough issue with her back that she was able to file a lawsuit against that company and win. And she was working an insane number of hours. She was working really hard to support her family. She was working really hard to move up the ladder. She was working really hard to, to secure a future for herself, for her kids, for her husband. Like both of Calvin's parents worked really hard their whole lives His dad thankfully was able to have a somewhat more active job, so he doesn't have as many issues. But his mom, she's retired now, but she has all of these physical ailments. And one of the things that she's always warning me about whenever I see her is because I'm always busy, I'm always working a lot, and she's always warning me, like, you need to take breaks. You need to be careful about that because there's consequences to working that much. It catches up to you eventually. And I see it all the time in my work all of my clients that i have regardless of what they do for a living they have tons of health problems and it's because all the clients that i have work their asses off all the time they have a lot of them have really significant joint issues they have diabetes or they have heart problems they have high blood pressure from all the stress they have all of these things and yet they continue to work and work and work because society says You have to, this is not just about the money or not just about power. This is about your value as a living being, your value and worth as a person is based on how hard you're willing to work, how much you're able to contribute to this company or to this system or to this society. That's what it's all based on. How much are you willing to work? And it's never enough.
1: It isn't. And on the blue-collar side of that, one of my exes worked at the uh, Goodyear manufacturing plant. They make gigantic tires and regular-sized tires. And they would often encourage people to work overtime. And that was the big mentality in a blue-collar manufacturing environment. Everybody loved overtime because these are union jobs. It's one of the few good-paying places in the Midwest. And so you make buku money and everything's like, overtime, overtime, overtime. And some of these places even had pensions. And it was the running joke, and I assume this is Gallo's humor, is they had running pensions because nobody's going to be alive to actually pull them. And that was the reality. They would put in these overtime hours and they would work their 20 years at the Goodyear power plant or Goodyear tire plant. And then a couple years after retirement, they'd die. They were exposed to horrible chemicals on a daily basis, and all your PPE in the world and all your engineering controls isn't going to save that. So, the amount of extra stress they put on their body combined with the chemicals they were exposed to killed them off early. So, they spent their whole life working 60 hour weeks hoping to get enough money to put their kid through college and have a nice retirement and finally spend time with their family and their kids and their wife. And they never got that time. So if you want more money, you should just work more. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll get more money in the long-term or in the short-term, but what about the long-term consequences? And then sometimes even with that, it doesn't even work in the short-term because a lot of time if you don't have a job that's paying you a lot of money, and I know a lot of people out there think, oh, you know, you make a lot. I'm desperately trying to find something that will pay $15 an hour a lot of people think that should be minimum wage. That's what I'm looking for, and I'm having a really hard time finding something like that. So when you're not in a job that's making a lot of money an hour, a lot of those extra hours, that income disappears because it goes into the extra time for commute It goes into the fact that you no longer have time to make meals So you have to buy out which is a greater expense It goes into the fact that you have children and now you have to pay extra time for child care It goes into the fact that you now are getting sick more often and you have more doctor bills and more medical bills It goes into the fact that you're stressing your body out And now you have more mental health needs and you're not able to function as well And so now you need more booze or more entertainment or more internet or more gambling or more whatever it is that you need to get through and so a lot of times for those of us that don't make a lot an hour even if we do push through you don't get any more income because the income is lost it it just all equates out in the balance all right so we're going to go ahead and move on to number 10 on our list today of things you hate hearing as an adult and this one, if if you have mental health struggles, especially if you've been diagnosed with a mental illness, this is one I think you'll probably encounter pretty frequently. and it is you just need to manage your resources better. This is actually one also that I think poor people are told a lot. You just need to manage your resources better. You know, if you just wouldn't get that expensive cup of coffee, if you just learned time management skills, you know, you'd be better off. Well, first off, as Ivy said, most of the time, We didn't ask for your input or life, so fuck off. And second, do you remember the episode where we talked about um, reduced functioning and how you only have a limited number of fucks? Well, what we really didn't go into a lot of detail about was the fact that these fucks are in different arenas of life. And so you have so many resources that are time and so many resources that are money and so many resources that are physical capabilities or mental capabilities or emotional wherewithal. And the reality is, is these are all very different systems, but they are an ecosystem that interplay. And so let's say you have a whole lot of time but you don't have a whole lot of money, a whole lot of emotional wherewithal or a whole lot of whatever else. Well, you're going to be spending more time or maybe you don't have enough of your physical capability that day. So you have to spend more money to hire somebody that could help you move. That's how resources work. They are an ecosystem. And so a lot of times when people tell you, you need to manage your resources or you need to manage your time better, you need to manage your money better. The reality is you're doing an excellent job managing They just don't have an inside view of your system. They don't understand the reason you're spending this much money on X is because you need to compensate for the fact that you don't have enough emotional wherewithal to get through the day. And if you don't spend the money on gambling or booze or yoga or whatever happy thing that makes you feel better, you're going to stop functioning because that's what's feeding your emotional ability to go on. And so... It's really, this is definitely one of those where people need to back the fuck off and leave you the fuck alone unless you intentionally ask for their input because managing your resource is a very personal thing and it requires a very personal understanding of your situation, I believe.
0: Yeah, because it's one of those things that like people tend to overgeneralize but you can't overgeneralize because every person functions differently. That's the whole point of this podcast is that people function differently. And so what your needs are and what your capabilities are is going to vary from person to person. So managing your resources better, it doesn't always work the way that they say it's going to. Like The number of times that I have read in finance books, well, just stop buying your morning coffee. Just stop. Put that into savings instead. okay first of all fuck you because it's not just as simple as i'll just never drink coffee again because especially if you are struggling to just get by from day to day and you have that reduced functioning if coffee is one of the few things that actually helps you stay alert enough to keep going or gives you that little bit of energy boost or even just gives you that feel-good boost or as part of your routine, maybe you need that coffee. I mean, maybe there are ways that you can reduce the cost on that, make it at home, get a different type of coffee that costs less, whatever. But just the idea that, no, give up this thing. That Just give up everything that gives you joy so that you can invest that somewhere else. Maybe you need those little bits of joy just so you can get through a whole fucking day. One of the things that's hardest for me to deal with is time management. And that is because the inside of my head is a goddamn mess. It just is. I would love for it not to be. I would love if I could just concentrate and focus on things that would be fantastic. That is incredibly hard for me to do. And there are things that I do to help manage that. One of the things that I do is by keeping my environment really well organized. I keep everything clean around me. I have a place for everything and everything in its place because the inside of my head is so chaotic that I have to have structure on the outside to even be functional at all. But it's still challenging for me to do that. It still takes me a really long time to do things that for other people may only take a few minutes for me might take a couple of hours because I can't focus long enough. I can't concentrate long enough on something or I have to take breaks because I can focus for 20 minutes but then my brain stops focusing and if I don't take a break I could do the exact same thing over and over and over 50 times and still not complete the task because I can't concentrate on it and I realized this just a couple of weeks ago while I was doing some audio editing on one of our podcast episodes about every 20 minutes I would have to rewind five minutes, keep going back and I would listen to the same thing and i have to go back again and go back again because I would hear it but I wasn't able to focus on what was being said enough to actually edit anything. The only way for me to work around that was to take a break every 20 minutes and fuck around on my phone or get up and get a snack or just walk around my apartment or something and then come back to it and work for another 20 minutes and then take another break. That was the only way that I was actually able to be productive in any sort of efficient way. But it still is a huge time commitment like that because for some some person, it may take an hour to edit the whole episode. For me, it takes about two and a half hours sometimes because I have to take breaks or I have to keep going back and re-listening to the same thing because my brain can't focus. And I think that's a really good point too, with the different struggles you
1: have, the reality is with that a lot of times there are actual physiological limitations. So our society really thinks, so they they really give into that idea of the push through mindset and it's just this mental barrier and you just need to push through. And the reality is with a lot of what is mental, you're talking about the brain and with what a lot of the brain is, is a physiological thing. It, It is a set chunk of mass and there is certain wiring set up in different ways. And if you are neurodivergent, the way the rest of the world manages their resources isn't going to work for you. You will have limitations. Like Ivy talked about time management. That is an absolute struggle for her. I see that also with my boyfriend who has a lot of ADD tendencies. Time management is almost impossible for him. For me, It's second nature. It's something about the way my brain is wired. It just automatically comes to me. I do wonderfully at that and have always done wonderfully at that with absolutely no effort. And I think that's the other big thing that we undermine with this, with the idea of you just need to manage your resources better, is the amount of effort it can take to learn to manage those resources. So maybe it's possible that Ivy or my boyfriend could learn excellent time management skills but the amount of effort they would have to invest in that is not realistic they would nearly need to quit their regular full-time jobs just so they could spend 30 40 50 60 hours a week focused solely on time management because it would take that much effort for them because their brains are not wired to work with that so the idea if you could just manage your resources better again it's very invalidating and very undermining and again you didn't understand where this person is coming from. You didn't stop and see where their brain was and you didn't stop and see the limitations of this. You know, And an ex- excellent example of this is cleaning. Ivy does an amazing job cleaning. And if you go into her house, I mean, it looks like the inside of an interior design magazine. You go into my house and it's you know a step away from one of those hoarder specials on Discovery Channel. And part of this for me, is I'm not willing to invest energy and time into cleaning like she is. And part of that is because it takes me so much longer to clean. I have piles of stuff everywhere in my house because I don't know what to do with it. I literally, I have no understanding of where this stuff should go or how it should be organized so that I can use it on an everyday basis and not lose it, but still have access to. I don't understand this. And I realized that if I wanted to invest a lot of my time in learning how to clean and a lot of my energy into learning how to do these things, I might be able to have a well-organized home. But I gave up on this a long time ago because I was wasting, and that's what it was to me, wasting three, four, five hours of my day trying to be externally organized when I couldn't. I I literally couldn't. I would spend five hours of my day just trying to keep a one-bedroom apartment organized. One-bedroom apartment, okay? That was way too much time. And maybe if I had another four or five hours on top of that, I could have done it. And maybe if you had given me six, seven, eight, nine months of that eight-hour day organizing my apartment, I eventually would have figured out how to do it. But who has
0: that time? Who has that time in reality? And you can find systems that help you to make better use of your resources, but that is also a lengthy process. It's something that you work at over time because it's very, very personalized and individualized. You have to find a system that works for you. One really struggles with keeping her, apart, keeping her home clean, but she's super organized in her head. I am a disaster inside my brain. But... I get agitated if there are water spots visible on my faucet because I need that much structure on the outside to help me deal with the chaos inside my head. I need to take breaks from from certain activities that I don't enjoy, like I don't enjoy editing. (laughs) I have to take breaks from that every 20 minutes because at some point my brain's like, why are we doing this? This is not fun. I don't like this. And I get frustrated with my brain because I'm like, yes, but you still have to do it. I don't care if it's fun it's I'm it's a battle of wills with my own mind a lot of times just trying to get things accomplished I have to find workarounds with it and I still get frustrated with myself and I'm still figuring things out it takes time like I have been working on a lot of these things for years and some things I'm just not realizing about myself like I used to be really down on myself for how much I procrastinated and shit like that and now I'm realizing no, it's not procrastination, it's that doing what is a simple task to other people takes me two, three, four, five times as long to do because I can't concentrate for shit. But I, for so many years, I was so busy putting myself down for procrastinating that I didn't realize that I even had issues with being able to focus and concentrate because I was so down on myself for not being able to manage my resources better. And so it can bite you in the ass, even worrying and feeling guilty about not being able to manage your resources better. You may not even be able to see through that guilt and through that shame, you may not be able to see what's actually causing the issue. I thought I was just being a lazy fuck and I would beat myself up for being lazy. It was not a matter of being lazy. I am not lazy. I don't sit still well. I always have to be doing something I'm always on the move. It's not that I am lazy. It is that I have a very difficult time concentrating on tasks, especially ones that are not intensely enjoyable for me. And if I have difficulty enjoying the task, I have difficulty concentrating on it, which means it takes me a hell of a lot longer to get anything done with it. I will eventually, but it takes a lot longer. I have to find workarounds. It's not always easy to manage your resources better. And it's not always simple as keeping a journal. It's not always as simple as just don't buy that morning coffee or whatever these, these simple things that they tell us, it, it would be great if it was that easy. But you can't just fix everything overnight with a little bit of mindfulness practice and keeping track of things in a journal or budgeting things out on paper. like It's not always that fucking easy. Simple, maybe, but not easy. And we need to stop feeling shame around our difficulty with managing resources because if we can at least get past the shame, we can start getting to the root of what the problem is and learn how to work with our neurodivergency to find a system that works for us. We just have to be patient and stop beating up on ourselves. And I think also recognizing the amount
1: of effort we put in so yeah, it may take Ivy four times as long to manage her time, but I manage, I imagine she has techniques and thoughts and ideas about time management that have never occurred to me because it comes easy. And, and while this doesn't go right toward resources, it does come to that idea of when you are neurodivergent, when you do have mental health struggles, when you come from those backgrounds, you end up putting a lot more effort and a lot more thought and you have a lot more strategies and things that most people never will. And the example of this for me is relationships and interactions. So I can look at an interaction between two people and I can break that down and I can analyze it and I can provide all of this insight. And while you probably reacted this way because I noticed that their tone was raised in that manner, which indicated that you would react like that because they weren't saying that you understand it because there was no mirroring, et cetera, et cetera that's because I am autistic and I do not understand intuitively how to interact with other human beings. And so in order to fake these interactions and succeed in society, I have had to analyze them to the point that I can break them down into understandable parts to relay them. And I always thought this is something that everybody knew. And so I would talk to a colleague or a coworker when they're like, oh, I just don't understand what happened. And I would be like, well, it was blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh my God, you're a genius. And I'm like, no, I just have had to think about how to do this for 20 years. And that's the same reality with managing our resources. Those of us that have struggled, the very fact that we are functioning indicates that we have come up with amazing systems to allow for that functioning in a society that is a battle for us. So I think it's not just, you know, listening to society saying, oh, you should do it better, but acknowledging the fact of how amazing you are at it. You know, there's that Einstein quote of, if you judge everybody's intelligence by how fast they can climb a tree, a fish is always going to be at a disadvantage or something along those lines. Well, that's true. But what about a fish that can climb a tree? Do you realize how much effort that fish put into it? Do you realize what kind of technology it had to develop? Do you understand what kind of muscle groups it had to work on to make that a reality? So if you are a fish climbing a tree, yes, you are not doing it as well or as fast or as effectively as that monkey. But the very fact you're climbing it is amazing. Just period right there because you shouldn't even be climbing the tree to begin with. That wasn't your world, but it's a world you had to exist in. And so it's awesome that you're managing your resources at that level at all. And if anybody ever needed tutoring on it, you could probably do all sorts of tutoring and education and have a TED Talk and a master's level class because other people that have intuitively done this and have never had to struggle with it, they don't even know what's going on.
0: They're just doing it and they're completely oblivious to it. (laughs) Well, I hope someday as I am clumsily struggling to climb that tree, that uh, instead of just looking at my struggles of cli- trying to climb the tree, people will be able to look into my little fish home and see how clean it is because it is meticulous as fuck. <laughs> you have a very clean fish. Bowl. I, I will I say do. that for sure. It is the cleanest of all fish bowls. <laughs>
1: And that wraps up the 10 things we hate hearing as adults. And actually, we had a bonus, number 11, which is you should be on meds. But as we're running over on time, I think we're going to send that one to our Patreon as some bonus content. What do you think about that, Ivy?
0: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful idea. But this particular thing will be accessible to the general public, all you have to do is go on over to our Patreon and there will be a link to that in the show notes or you can go directly to the Patreon website and look up different functional. You will find us there. And this particular bonus will be, like I said, accessible to everybody. But while you're over there, if you decide to check that out, take a look and see what other bonus content we offer to our... Patreons and see if there's anything there that interests you. We have some pretty good stuff on there and it would be awesome to have you there as part of our Patreon community. Yep. So check us out on Patreon to hear that bonus number 11
1: phrase and how much we hate being told you should be on meds. So this wraps up the top 10 things we hated hearing as adults. If you have any of these things, these phrases that you hear or these Regularly touted social media little sayings that you see out and about, please let us know, get a hold of us, and say, Oh my God, one of the things I hate hearing is blank. Ivy, can you tell our listening audience how to get a hold of us or reach us?
0: I sure can. That was very chipper. Uh, There's lots of ways to get a hold of us. We are on Facebook as different functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as different underscore functional. We are on Twitter as diff underscore functional. Uh, we also have our website www.differentfunctional.com and there's a contact form on there so you can con- us, contact us that way or you can send us an email directly at Can you guess it's at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure that's all the ways to get in touch with us, but I can come up with more if you would like for me to not in like not at the moment but tough. in the future i'm sure i could come up with more ways to contact us
1: i think for two people that said we don't want to interact with humans i think that's a lot of way to contact. come so
0: <laughs> <it's laughs> yes. yeah, yeah that's probably true i've probably created too many avenues for us to be contacted by for two people that don't interact with most of the human race <laughs> but we would genuinely right. like to hear the things that annoy you because now you've listened to us rant on about all the shit that annoys us. So please tell us what bothers you. Even if it's us, tell us that we bother you, I guess. Or annoy. don't. (laughs) Just talk about this behind our backs to other people who don't give a shit. There we go. (laughs) Let's just keep with the theme of the episode. Don't tell us if we bother you. Tell somebody else who won't care.
1: <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening to our different functional podcast. Where remember, it's none of your fucking business, as well <laughs> as different does not mean defective.